I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at just one verse today, but really in the, the concept of, of salvation. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Paul says to the Ephesians church, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the service that we've had so far. It's already lifted our hearts up toward you. And Lord, we are we're in the midst of just worshiping you. We thank you so much. You, you have been so kind to us. And our, our hearts are overwhelmed, overflowing today, just with Sunday school and with our gathering and with our service already today. May you be honored and glorified. And we thank you for allowing us to participate in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I wanted to take a little bit of a break from our series that we've been doing, tests of a a true believer, testing uh, what it is like to be a true believer. And those things that we look for, we've uh, seen the past few weeks uh, these evidences in our life that uh, that God is at work. We look for uh, a love for God, a love for His people, His Word, His family. We look for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. We look for answered prayers. We look for um, a love for Christ that longs to see Him return. We look for spiritual discernment, a desire for holiness. We look for a decreasing pattern of sin in our life and an increasing desire for or increasing holiness in our life. We even look for a decreasing worldliness or a detachment from worldliness and then even even a growing detachment of the world from us. The world rejects us. There's an increase of that. All of those are evidences of the Holy Spirit work in our life. Now, we have one more, and we'll look at that next week, but evidence is that the work that the Holy Spirit has worked in our life. And we want to stop at this appropriate time in the year, time of the year, stop and just give thanks to the Lord for His work, right? It's His work. He's done these things in our life, and, and we are to be eternally grateful for to Him for things that we really we can't see, but we know we're there. We've experienced in, in our own life, and, and we know we urgently are dependent upon these things. God's work in our life. So as we enter into this, this kind of broader holiday season, we're specifically a, a day that we give thanks to the Lord. Uh, so often, what we do, we're kind of like kids, I mean... It just kind of sneaks up on us. All of a sudden, Thanksgiving Day is here. And we start looking around. What are we thankful for? Well, I'm thankful for the roof over our head, the, the, the shoes on our feet, the food that we eat. Just those things that we see. And so often, we, in doing that, we neglect the things that, that we cannot see that are vastly more important. And that's kind of gives a shallowness, I think, to our thanksgiving. There's, there's a lot of things that we don't see that we're, we're so dependent upon. We, we don't see oxygen, do we? It's in the air. Um, 
maybe under a microscope, maybe those we could see it that way, but we don't see it, but we are so dependent upon that. Um, to be thankful for oxygen. You don't see gravity. We should be thankful for gravity. There were some kids in my office the other day, and they had the, one of these balloons with helium in it, and the balloon kept floating up, and, and it would hit the ceiling, and, and uh, they would grab onto it and pull it back down. And, and I say, well, what, if, what if we floated up like that? Aren't, aren't we glad that we don't float up like that? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's silly anyway, because we're too heavy. We can never float up like that. I said, well, what if you had enough balloons? If you had a whole lot of balloons, then you might float up. And, and so we were just thankful. I said, well, what causes that balloon to float up like that? And uh, one of the young ladies said, electricity. I thought, wow, that's the, the, she's thinking, she's thinking. There's things that we cannot see, but we're so desperately dependent upon that, that we could be thankful for those things. We don't even think about walking outside and having to hang on to something because we're going to float up and float away. There's order to our universe. God has built order into our universe, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, laws of logic, laws of physics that, that we really, again, don't think about, but we're dependent upon. And we need to be thankful for those things. Paul says here to be thankful for all things, always being thankful for all things. We don't see love within a family. We can see the effects of that. We, out of love, we, we do things for each other. We're to be thankful for those things. We, we know that God loves us and we're to be thankful for those things. And the danger is, is because we can't see things, then we, then we forget about them and we, we're just not that thankful for them. When the reality is that the more important things of life are really the things that we cannot see. And in this passage, Paul says, he reminds us to be thankful for all things. And in the context, I want to read the broader context just so you can understand that Paul is talking about this is an outworking of the Holy Spirit in our life. In verse 15 is where he starts this little paragraph, this new section. Therefore, be careful how you walk. This is the way we live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because of the days are evil. So then we are to not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be spirit-controlled under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, and the result of that is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to your heart, to the Lord. It's just a natural thing when you're walking in the Spirit to have that, that, that joy that is there. And singing to the Lord is just a, as we go throughout our day. And in verse 20 he says, Always giving thanks to for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a natural outworking of somebody that's in the Holy Spirit or con, uh, controlled or influenced by the Holy Spirit is to, to be thankful. To be thankful. It's a natural result of being, being controlled by the Spirit. And Paul says, always, in all things, e- even the things that we cannot see, the unseen world, the whole realm out there that, that we really don't see. It's a, a spiritual realm. Now, earlier, Paul talked about this realm 
In chapter 1 and verse 3, I want you to see this. Chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's the unseen realm. We can't see heaven. We can know, okay, that's where God is. It's in the spiritual realm. You can't see it. But he says, that's where all, all of our spiritual blessings are. In the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. And that's a key. That's the key. Because all spiritual blessings, our, our whole spiritual life comes down to one thing. And we need to understand this. comes down to one thing. And that is our union with Christ. Because we are one with Christ, we have all spiritual blessings. That is the, a very important point. Pulls all of theology together is that we are united with Christ. Now, the world doesn't see that. Again, that's a spiritual thing. It's in, in the unseen realm. If we just keep our thanksgiving to the material world, just the things that the world sees, our thanksgiving is going to be shallow. It just is. It just it is. We just keep adding things on. We can be thankful for this and this and all the things that we see. And we'll never really understand it. We'll never really put the right emphasis on the right uh, things until we understand spiritual blessings and what God has done for us in the unseen realm, in the unseen world. And when a person, when a person turns away from their sinfulness, when a person turns uh, in repentance, uh, in faith toward Jesus Christ, at that moment, the Holy Spirit works in their life. They are baptized into Christ. They are united with Christ. And they receive every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And at that moment, they're united with Christ. And, and it's as, as though they're connected to, branches connected to the, the trunk of the tree. And nutrients then begin to flow up from that uh, those roots and through that tree into those branches and they begin to grow. It's like arms and legs are connected to the, the trunk of our body and, and there's growth that can happen there. That's exactly what happens when we're united with Christ. There's nutrients that then flow through our body and we're, we're placed into the body of Christ, into the church and Christ is the head. We're connected to to Christ. That unites us also with the Father. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Father then adopts us into the family. We're united into the family of God. And the evidence of that is, is the Holy Spirit working in us. There's spiritual growth, spiritual life. And the result of that. Or, or, or the, the way we stay in Christ, the, the connection there that is made there is through faith. And it's through our abiding in Christ, the, whole, the, uh, the Word of God says. It's, it's His Word abiding in us, us feeding on Him and obedience to Him. There's nutrients then that flow through our, our veins. There's a change of life. There's a... A new life that's made. It's a life of faith 
in an, a world that we don't understand, a world that we can't comprehend necessarily, but we have faith that it's there, even though we don't see it. And folks, that's what we must be thankful for. That trumps everything. And I want us to see that. The material things, really, those are the things that we should just take for granted. It's the spiritual things that we need to be most thankful for. It just is. That's the right emphasis in the right place. Now, what has God done for us then? What has God done for us? What should we be thankful for? Um, another way to put it is, what is salvation? What is salvation? I want to put salvation kind of under a microscope. We want to look at just three elements of salvation. We want to, we want to see it kind of dissected so we can understand. And I think this will prepare our hearts for genuine thanksgiving, for, for a depth to our thanksgiving and holiday season. Let me give you three things. Three things, three elements of the believer's life that will um, that, that we dare not forget just because we cannot see it. And there's three key words. The first is is forgiveness, second is righteousness, third is regeneration. And we want to look at these things a little bit in depth. We just want to see what scripture says about these things, what God's word says about these things so that our thanksgiving will be will be have the depth that it needs to be. Number one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Okay? Forgiveness is the releasing of the, the guilt and the sin that's on us. It's a, a pardoning from sin. We're pardoned from the burden of sin. We're pardoned from the, the guilt and the, the uh, punishment of sin that, that lays on our shoulders. It's just been lifted up. It's been let go. It's been released we, we should have received death, and by grace of God, we now see, receive forgiveness. Okay, we need to understand that. It's a spiritual concept. We have been forgiven. We've been forgiven. Now, let's look at that a little bit closer uh, here. What is, what's so important about this? What's so important about forgiveness? Romans, I mean, uh, John chapter 8, verse 23 says this. I think it's on the screen there. John chapter 8, verse 23, this is Jesus, and he's talking to, uh, I think, the scribes and the Pharisees here. And he says, you are from uh, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I say to you, you will die in your sins, unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. Now, Jesus is telling them, Jesus is giving them the greatest warning, the, the best thing, the most loving thing that he can do is giving them this warning that they are going to die in their sins if they do not put their faith and trust in him. That's pretty, pretty strong. Their sins are going to remain on them. And because of that, they are going to die. When they die, their sins are going to remain on them. And the only place for a, a sinful person is in hell and paying for the punishment of that sin forever and ever. So the most important thing that Jesus could do for them is to, to warn them, you, you, you better not die in your sins. Don't die in your sins. You're going to remain in your sin and you're going to die in your sin. And that's the worst thing that, that somebody could that uh, Jesus could say. 
It's the worst thing that could happen to us, folks. The most important things, thing is for our sin to be released from us and forgiven. Mark chapter 2, verse 5 through 7 here. Um, who do we get forgiveness from? Jesus said, seeing their faith, said to them, to the paralytic uh, man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes and Pharisees, they saw that. They heard what Jesus said and they said, this guy's blaspheming. He says, who can forgive sin but God alone? Now, they got it right. That's good theology. Only God can forgive sin. He is the one that we have uh, offended and he's the one that has to forgive us our, our sins or we will remain in our sins. Our sins are not forgiven if God does not forgive us. And we need to seek after God's forgiveness. That's the idea. And the Lord's Supper, the, uh, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples, he said, for this is my blood in the covenant, which is poured out for you, for the, for many, for forgiveness of sin it was jesus sacrifice on the cross that he he gave of his life his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sin for the forgiveness of sin that's what had to happen christ had to die there had to be a sacrifice that was paid hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says according to the law one may almost say all things are cleansed by blood Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Christ had to die. That's what had to happen. The God of the universe had to sacrifice His only begotten Son for the forgiveness of sin. And Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, For He rescued us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have forgiveness, or I'm sorry, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That's what redemption is. It's just forgiveness of sin. And that redemption is a releasing of our debt, a releasing of the guilt and the shame of our sinfulness. It's like letting that balloon go and just releasing, releasing that from us. And this is, this is the message that we have from the, to the world, isn't it? This is the message, the same thing that Christ told the scribes and the Pharisees that they need to be forgiven. They better not die in their sins. Jesus And Peter said this in his sermon, at the end of his sermon, listen to the response. Now when they heard this, this is Peter's sermon, they were pierced to the heart and he said, that's Peter said to them and the rest of the apostles said, that brethren, what should we do? They asked Peter this. And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You, you must repent for the forgiveness of sin. You've got your sins remain on you, and you've got to repent of that so that those sins can be forgiven, released from you. You're not bound to them anymore. Is that just the past sins? No. First John one says, if we confess our sins, if we are those who continually confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's an ongoing thing, not just sins of the past. It's an ongoing thing. So what do we, where, where do these sins go? Micah seven nineteen tells us, 
He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. That's a wonderful thought. Yes, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that something to be thankful for? Releasing of our sinfulness. No more on our backs. As far as the east is from the west, uh, our sins have been have been taken. That's cause for praising the Lord. That's cause for thanksgiving. Uh, We can rejoice with Paul saying, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That gives rise to rejoicing, folks. No condemnation. The greatest thing that can happen to to anyone here on this earth is not physical success, is not material success, it's not even in this physical realm, it's in an unseen realm, and that's the forgiveness of, of sin. It's the sheer grace of God, and He He pardons us, He forgives us. David in Psalm thirty two reminds us of that. That over releasing of our sin. It's like when I get home, I'm going to take this tie off. It's around my neck. I'm going to take this tie off and release my neck from the pressure of that tie. I'm going to take my shoes off and let my feet be comfortable. We take off that that sin is is removed from us and we can feel that release, that guilt. When you go on a long hike, maybe you take a, a backpack. I did a hike for three days up this mountain. One time, Mount uh, Mount Whitney, and man, it just is. It weighs on you. I think it's fifty pounds on my back. It weighs on you. You kind of get used to it, but then, man, when you take that off, it, it just is a, a burden lifted. That's what God does for us in removing our sin, lifting that burden uh, from that from us, and lifting that sin from us. I just want to be clear a little bit, because there could be some confusion on this. We cannot get this confused, this forgiveness, mixed up with today's, kind of today's vernacular. At least what we saw in the 70s and 80s, there was this uh, this kind of movement that came out of values clarification. They're going to clarify our values for us. This is when I was uh, in school or in, in college, or values clarification, and it's really it's just the opposite of forgiveness of sin. There's no hierarchy in this. It's kind of an amoral, man-made construct, and it's just teaching people to get along. It's not forgiveness of sin and, and, and offending a person, that kind of thing. No, it's just that uh, everything is equal. You just have to live at peace with one another. It's not that God is living at peace with us, folks. That's not it at all. He has forgiven us. He has forgiven us. It's not a compromise on God's part. No, He has released us from that guilt, from that sinfulness. So it's not this man-made construct, folks. We stood before, we stood before God in the courts of heaven, in the heavenly courts. We stood before Him condemned, guilty. And then all of a sudden he says, forgiven. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has, has paid for it. Uh, you're forgiven. And released to go. Now, 
The worst thing that could ever happen to a person is that they die in their sins. So the greatest thing that could ever happen to a person is for them to be released from that sin, for them to be pardoned from that sin. And folks, that's something to be thankful for. When you go into this Thanksgiving season, this uh, this time of Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day, be thankful that your sins are forgiven. Number two. Forgiveness is one thing. Number two is righteousness. Righteousness. Again, unseen, we kind of take it for granted. We don't even really uh, understand all of it, but but we, uh, we know that it's there. It's righteousness. Now, this is a God given righteousness. Let me make that clarification. The God given righteousness, it's a gift through faith. Now, we have to start back in the Old Testament. Jeremiah described the Messiah as a, uh, a righteous branch of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 23. He says, a righteous branch of Israel. And he, at the end of that verse, he says, and this is his name by which he will be called the Lord of righteousness. <laughs> That's Christ. He's the Lord of righteousness. And Daniel adds to that, that idea, that he's going to bring an everlasting righteousness with him when he comes in. It's righteousness, okay? Grasp that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, that is God, made him Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. And the last two words are so important. In Him. That's in Christ. Our union with Christ brings together us and righteousness. Two completely different things. Ungodly people together with a a godly, uh, righteous person. That cleanses us. That makes us righteous. And and that's what is so important back in, in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 Verse 27, no unclean thing will ever enter into the new heaven and new earth. We have to be completely changed. Now, forgiveness is, is one thing. Forgiveness from sin, that'll keep us out of hell. That's good. We, we don't go to hell. But it's the righteousness of God that gets us into heaven. There's two two separate things there. It's only the righteousness in Christ, with our union with Christ, that will get us into heaven. There's, there's a different kind of righteousness, folks. It's not a works-based righteousness that we kind of think of today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Philippians 3, verse 9. And may be found, this is Paul talking, may be found in Him, that's in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, Derived from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul's saying we don't want to have the kind of righteousness that we have earned or that we have worked for. Because we'll never get it. We'll never get it. And this is where the Jews struggled. The Jews really struggled over this this concept. Romans chapter 9, Paul says this. He says, what shall we say then? This is it. This is really, this is so cool that Paul saw this even in his day. That the Jews who did not pursue righteousness, I'm sorry, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, that's us. We weren't pursuing righteousness. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, as opposed to the Jews, 
They attained righteousness. They, they received righteousness. Even the righteousness which is by faith, that kind of righteousness, that pure righteousness. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. They did not, they were pursuing righteousness, but it's a righteousness of the law. And they were, they were doggedly pursuing it. There was grit. There was tenaciousness. They were, they were aggressively pursuing this, Paul says. They didn't arrive at it. They couldn't get it. They couldn't attain it. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. And that's the difference. But as though they were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. They were pursuing their righteousness so fast, so tenaciously, that they missed the very Messiah, the one that they were to put their faith and trust in. And it's a different kind of righteousness. Not the same. Not the same. The righteousness that they were pursuing was a a self-righteousness. An earned righteousness. A boasting that comes, that can come from that. Something I deserve. It's a man-centered, works-based kind of righteousness. But the righteousness that we need, the righteousness that we need, has a different motive. It's a different kind of righteousness. It's not a man-centered righteousness, but it's a God-centered righteousness. Israel missed it because they, and they missed the Messiah because they were pursuing the wrong kind of righteousness, the righteousness of, of themselves. Romans chapter 4, we see not to the one who works. His wages is not credited to, is a, as favor, but as do. Now listen, if we want a, a man's work-based righteousness, we work for it, then, then we'll receive the wages of that. God will give us those wages. But it falls far short of what's expected. It's not going to get us anywhere. It's not going to get us into to heaven. He says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who, who justifies the ungodly, that's the key. God Himself justified the ungodly. He gave us a righteousness that we did not deserve. He imputed a righteousness to our account. Something that we didn't deserve. It was a a gift to us. We didn't have to work for it at all. That's exactly right. It's by faith. Yes. It's not earned in any kind of, of way. Paul goes on to say, he's justified the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. It was just a gift. It was credited as righteousness. Just because he believed. Now folks, that's something to be thankful for. Christ's righteousness in our life, attributed to our account. A person on death row, um, who right at the last moment, so they, they're, they're guilty, they know they're guilty, they're in prison, they're facing uh, a firing squad, they get up to the firing squad, and all of a sudden they're released. They're freed. Okay? That's one part of it. They're free, but th- that, that just lets them go. But this goes beyond forgiveness. This gives... Us righteousness. It gives us righteousness. Righteousness from Christ. Christ was the model citizen. Okay? So it's like going from, from being pardoned to being president. There's a big difference there. You can be released from, uh, prison, 
but to become president. You can be released from, from, and freed from your own sinfulness, but to have the righteousness of Christ attributed to your account, it's a whole different thing. That, that elevates us. It's a righteousness that we did not attain. Now, I, I, I'm confused with Catholic doctrine because they, they say they believe in Christ, but they, they kind of pull together these two ideas that, that Christ's atoning work, we have to uh, have faith in that, but yet they'll add works to it. They'll have to, you have to do something. You have to do this or that. You have to have your righteous life along with Christ's righteousness. And they kind of merge justification and sanctification. They kind of pull those two together. But it's a man-centered righteousness. It's the wrong kind of righteousness. It's not going to work. Justification is completely a work of, of Christ. They say they believe. But they add, add works to that belief and add purgatory toward that. You can work for somebody else. That's just not scriptural at all. In fact, it confuses everything because it's a, a gift. Our righteousness cannot work for anything. There's no credit for it. it we would lose our salvation if it depended upon our righteousness. Salvation is entirely a gift. The God-centered righteousness that was imputed to our account. This is not just freedom from sin or forgiveness of sin. This is Christ's righteous life attributed to our account. And folks, that's something to be thankful for. Forgiveness and righteousness. Both. That's amazing. We have something to be thankful for. Let me give you one more. And that is regeneration. Regeneration. It just means new life. Being born again, as Christ uh, called it, it's a new creation. Now, to understand this, we understand, we have to understand where we were in in the past. And we have to understand this too. That in Scripture, our heart and our mind... They make up the person. And the heart and the mind, that, that person is just attached to this flesh, this, this body. So we have a, a spirit, that, it's called the mind and the, and the heart. We're, we're in this fleshly body, this, this physical realm through that. And it's the mind that needs to be changed. Now, of course, the flesh is too, but it's the mind that needs to be changed. So we have Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The mind, that, that person set on the flesh, does the desires of the flesh, living by the flesh, being driven by the flesh, it, it, it's in opposition to God. It's hostile to God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are of the flesh or in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. They cannot please God. They are attached to this this earthly body. They're attached to their own flesh. They're just driven by their flesh. And so they, they, they can't please God. There needs to be a rebirth. Not a physical rebirth, but a rebirth of that mind, that heart, the internal person. That's what man needs. It's a great need. 
So Paul goes on to say in verse 10, just in the same passage, if Christ is in you through the, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, that's our union with Christ. Union with Christ, then we are alive. Alive. That body needed to be, or that uh, that mind and heart, that spirit needed to be regenerated, r- renewed, uh, being uh, being a, a new person there, and that's exactly what happens. First, in Second Corinthians chapter five or seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We are all new from the inside out. We're not the same people. Drastic change. Drastic change from the inside. John chapter 3. Christ reminded us that uh, that which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. Or that which is born of the flesh is fleshly. That which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. The Spirit, that's what He produces in our life. It's not just the Holy Spirit working in our life. He does. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. That's not by our works, it's by our righteousness. But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the, the Holy Spirit works in our life that produces this new life, this regeneration within us. And of course, we know that in John chapter 1 Verse 13, it's God is at work in, in our life as well. Who were, who were born, that's us, the believer, who were born not of the flesh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is God's will who causes us to be born of God. He did it. First Peter chapter three, verse, first Peter chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God did it. The Holy Spirit did it. We see in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, we also see Christ did it. If we, are, if we know that He, that's Christ, is righteous, we know that everyone who, is, who practices righteousness is born of Him. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in producing new life in us. They caused us to be born again. <laughs> to be born again. And because of, of that, we see new life. There's evidence. We become like Christ. We become like God. We have discernment of spiritual things. We have a hatred for sin, a, a victory over the world, delight in God's Word. Let me give you a quick theology lesson. There's two, basically, two realms of theology today. And they're competing against each other. One is Calvinism. Don't get hung up on the term. And then you have Arminianism. And you can break the the two down. Arminius, Jacob Arminius came along and the the teaching of the church was always Calvinism. It wasn't called Calvinism back then. Calvinism was able to, Calvin was able to articulate it pretty well. But Arminius came, came along and, and he, he said, no, he says, man is not really dead spiritually. Man is just sick, a little sick. And he can pursue God at will. He could pursue God if he wants to. And, and he just needs to, to want to a little bit more. But he, essentially, man initiates the salvation. 
Man chooses. Man reaches out to God. But that's not the scripture. That's not the theology that we see in scripture. In fact, what we see in scripture is man is completely dead spiritually. So it has to be God who generates that dead person back to life. That's regeneration. It's new life. It's being born again. Something that was not there is now there. It's not man's working like Arminius would say. It's as Calvin taught. It has to be monotheistic. It's God that does it, initiates this salvation process. And that's what we see in Scripture. The whole story of Scripture is that it is a work of God. It's a work of God. Salvation. In fact, the way He does it... It's His Word, just like He spoke things into existence. That has the transforming power to create new life. God calls things into existence with the Word of His power, the power of His Word. He can, he can just do that. That He gives life. All of a sudden, He just calls Carl Dingus into existence. Gives Carl Dingus new life. Just like Christ, when Christ was standing outside the tomb of Lazarus, he calls out and says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead. Lazarus was dead. How would he come forth? Well, Christ had given him that life. That's what happens to us with salvation. In Ezekiel chapter, or in Ezekiel, uh, the book of Ezekiel, we see <clears throat> described for us these dead bones. They've been dead for so long. They've been out in the desert, bleached by the sun. These white bones, they started coming together. And they develop flesh. And they develop a person. That, that whole person comes back to life. And that, that's representing Israel. And someday Israel's going to, to do that. How does that happen? God has to call that into existence. That's a God thing. That's what God does. God's Word has that kind of power to just regenerate us, to, to give us new life, to call us into existence. We were spiritually dead, now we're spiritually alive. How thankful for you, for, how thankful are you for your salvation? How thankful are we to be that it's not, not our initiating, because we, we couldn't do it. God had to initiate it. God had to regenerate that. He is Holy Spirit had to work in that heart and change that heart first. The first thing, folks, that we need to keep in mind that all of this, this salvation is a gift from God. Forgiveness, righteousness, newness of life, it's all a gift from God. He is the one that did these things in our life. And it is... It's the material world, folks, that really we, we just take for granted for those things. When we can work, God says, you know what? Your Heavenly Father, Christ said, your Heavenly Father, He's going to provide those things. If you're going to take anything for granted, take those things for granted. But do not take for granted the things that you cannot see. The, the spiritual realm. They have to be granted. They have to be given. And folks, those are the things that we must be more, most deeply thankful for. Forgiveness, imputed righteousness, regeneration, it's new life. There's all, those are all gifts from God. And, and they perfectly match up with the, the horrific need that we have. Perfectly match. This is the great need that we have and God 
fulfills that great need, pulls those two together. That need has been met. So we must be deeply thankful for that. Now, let's just apply this. Just just quickly, how do we apply this? What, what do we do with this? How do we understand what God has... Or, or do we understand? Do we understand what God has done for us? Do we, do we grasp that? And, and then how do we show that kind of gratitude? How does this affect our life? Scripture applies it in three different ways. Forgiven people what? Forgive. Those who understand they're great for, that they've been greatly forgiven, you know what they do? They forgive. That's, it's just that simple. Forgiven people forgive. Number two, righteous people gravitate toward righteousness. Righteous people gravitate toward righteousness. Other righteous people, they gravitate toward the righteousness in God's Word. They want to know righteousness. They just gravitate toward, how can I be more pleasing to God? How can I be more uh, thankful and grateful and, and uh, work out this salvation in my life? They, they gravitate toward righteousness. And then number three, is that people with spiritual life have a spiritual heartbeat, folks. There's a change in their life. There's a heartbeat where there was death before. There was death before. There's a change in that person's life. Now, then we can go to the Old Testament and look at what David said. This passage that was read for us earlier. I want to read it again, just in closing, and you'll see the connection here. Here's, here's what David says. There were those who, and this is in Psalm chapter 107. It should be on the screen. There were those who dwelt in darkness. That's us. And in the shadow of death, prisoners of misery and chains. In misery and chains. Because they had rebelled against the Word of God. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and they were, and there was none to help. Then, verse 13, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness, of the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and His wonders to the sons of men. That's us, folks. Let us give thanks. We have much to be thankful for. Our union with Christ gives us every spiritual blessing. A great salvation, Paul calls it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You. Lord, in fact, when we say thank You, it just seems so small compared to the great gift. Thank you is just not even close to being enough. Lord, we, we feel like we, we just give our whole lives to you. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Uh, Lord, may, may our hearts somehow reflect a gratitude toward you that matches the gift that you've given us. May we live up to this high calling that you've called us to. The forgiveness of our sins, the righteous life that has been attributed to our account, and 
and, and now a newness of life. Lord, three things that, that we kind of take for granted. We don't even think about. We don't see it. Lord, help us to know. Help us to realize and understand it. It's true of the believer. May we live, live up to that high calling. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.